We all grew up with it. It's in our DNA. Their grandfathers played, their their fathers played, and or their mothers played. And now I think what you're getting to is that next generation where folks are becoming grandparents and they played soccer, and now their parents played soccer. That was Worcester Academy boys soccer head coach James Proctor, and he's the guest on today's episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Welcome into another episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Today I'll be joined by Worcester Academy head coach James Proctor. James, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Great, to, yeah. Pleasure, go ahead. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> As it should be. This is the this is the ultimate podcast in New England. I like to think so. It's great to have you. We're we're, we're in the off season here for for prep school soccer, obviously, but it, it's never really an off season because I know mid April is an exciting time for programs like you guys and programs across the region because that's when you sign those those new coming players for the next season and try to feed off what you built in the previous season and the previous years for the program. So. You must be excited to have a whole new crop of players coming in for 2023. Yeah, very exciting. Did very well with the admission process. Kids coming locally and from abroad and then different places in America like D.C. and Florida. So very exciting to get people from across the the globe and, and the map of America. So that's exciting. And yeah, it's a busy time. I mean, the season ends in November and then all the coaches are really busy with admission work from pretty much mid-October until April 10th when it was the last day for you to tell us if you're coming to Woods or going to one of the competitors. What, what's that like? Because, you know, obviously at the college game, we know how, how big recruiting is and how it just it really never stops. And I was just at the, the Girls Academy Showcase in North Carolina a couple of weeks back, and there's just sidelines lined with hundreds of college coaches, and they're just traveling the country. You guys at the prep school level, I mean, is – how similar is it to that? Because you're at your school and at all these prestigious schools across New England, you guys are bringing in players from all over the place. I mean, different countries, international recruits, domestic recruits, New England recruits. What's it like from a prep school perspective, just trying to get players to, to sign on with your program? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much the same. I mean, except the prep school coaches are covering ninth grade through right. postgraduate. Right. So it's it's a... It's a lot of work, and you, you you go to games, and you'll see other coaches there, and most prep school coaches are, are very friendly with each other, so we'll stand and watch the games. Uh, there are recruiting events as well, and yeah, we, we're, we're there. I mean, there's the feeder schools to us. They do a showcase event. You'll see 30, 40 coaches there on a cold Saturday November. Yeah. I was recently at an NEFC game, and a couple of coaches were there, like St. Mark's, Eric, and then Ken from Middlesex, and... Yeah, I mean, a lot of crossover. I see Jimmy Bernstein, Northfield, Mount Hermon mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, normally in Quincy at the high school all-star game for Eastern Mass. So, yeah, I mean, the coaches are everywhere. Is it? How would you kind of describe the competitive nature between the coaches? Because a lot of these kids, you guys are going for the same kids, a lot, a lot of you. And a lot of you have similar relationships with different clubs. So there's just a lot of connection there between a lot of coaches and a lot of personalities in the soccer community. Is it? aggravating to you when there's a kid you want that goes to another? I mean, how do you kind of just, what's kind of the emotions of, of trying to land players and maybe not landing players? Yeah, it's actually a really good question. To, to be honest, the coaches talk. <laughs> I, um, I bet, yeah. The communication. I mean, you're humans. Yeah, you're going to talk. No, I mean, yeah. 
communication in prep school soccer for the most part all the coaches get along they've got a job to do they represent their schools and i think we all do a good job of that representing who we work for and with the recruiting when a coach doesn't really think the players coming to them or we normally call each other and say hey what are you thinking and you get an idea so you can can get an idea some families are very up front and tell you yeah that that's fine some it's waiting till april 10th and (laughs) sometimes the coaches we don't know what people are going to do because they play their cards close to chess and then sometimes you actually know before the family's going to tell you that they've already committed and told the coach and the coach said yeah i got bad news for you coming to me and <laughs> but it normally evens out but yeah, yeah the, the coaches in most part we're, we're busy people but we, we communicate with each other what's your mindset with the whole thing or, or what do you prioritize is it players from the region is it new england players are you i mean i know you guys last year when you won the class a championship had a bunch of guys from the region that that had new england ties but are you how do you kind of approach going internationally going locally going outside in the united states but outside of new england what's what's priority number one two and three for you i think there's a lot of talent in new england so for me in my 23 years at worcester academy i've sort of prioritized local i think soccer in new england's improved so much in the time that i've been in this area and you, you can compete with the talent in New England. Then, obviously, it's nice for the kids in New England to play with someone who comes from a different part of the world. It's, right. a, it's a nice thing to, to be able to have a different culture or, or cultures in your locker room. And then uh, to get some kids from out of state, it's nice as well. So it, it's a balance, but I'm a big believer that in New England we have enough talent as well that the majority of my focus, 60-70% of my roster, I like to be from New England just because I'm a believer that we have great talent here and I think over the last 23 years we've produced a lot of talented soccer players. Yeah, the track record would certainly stress that. I mean, we'll talk about the, the championship last year and the, the, the history that you guys have as a, as a strong program in New England. I had Jen Marino, the Worcester Academy girls coach on the podcast during the fall season, I believe it was, and she... She had a great way that she referred to Worcester Academy. I think she called it the unpretentious prep school. And that's, I thought it was great. I thought it was a great way to appeal to a lot of different people. How do you describe Worcester Academy and how do you kind of sell maybe the the academic institution and the program to to kids? How do you describe it to kids? Yeah, I mean, look, been there 23 years. The school's been there a lot longer than I have. And I think the foundation of Worcester Academy over many, many years has been the fabric of what people know about it. And the amount of people that have come through the institution and gone on to do amazing things is, is incredible. But I, I, I sell the school on the main thing. It's the people. It's the people that work there. Uh, they really believe in the people they're working for, the, the students and the families that come to us and believe in us to educate their their kids. And those people enjoy going to work every day. The, the teachers, the administrators, they love being there. But first and foremost, they're there for the kids and making sure that they come in and they succeed and the goals that they have. And they're able to go on to great institutions in their college careers. And I, I think Jen is right. And Worcester Academy's just got a great history and a great fabric. And most importantly, it's just got a really good group of working people that really enjoy going to work every day. On on our website, anysoccerjournal.com, we've been we we just started the process kind of highlighting some newcomers coming to the NEPSAC this year where we're gonna to touch on as many programs as we possibly can on the on the boys and girls side, just with players to watch coming up in this twenty twenty three season, which is 
incredibly only like four months away, which is <laughs> kind of nuts. Seems like the 2022 season just wrapped up. But why don't you tell us a little bit about your incoming class, any players that, that come to mind that, that you could be expecting to fill some voids or maybe produce for you this season? Yeah, we got a great group coming in. Got a strong group returning too. So excited. Got some three freshmen coming in. One local, Nathan Michard and from NFC and Jack Hurd from IFA. So we're excited about them. Tenth grade, got Jack Houghton coming in from Vermont. Very strong player. Going to be a big asset to us over a number of years. Colby Pina from NFC, midfielder. Going to going to certainly help us. Moves the ball well. And then Kobe. Rosenthal out of Singapore is going to be a good addition, left-sided player. So that's certainly going to help. Oli DeRocha, local guy from Juventus, so 11th grade. Nice pickup, just good kid that we really enjoy. He's going to be great in the locker room. And then on the older end, got Alex Denaro coming out of Florida, center forward. Akis Pazmetis from D.C., another center forward. He's going to be exciting. Got Emmanuel Taman, center back playing for Alexandria in the academy, and that's exciting. Dan Banks out of Rhode Island. Max Luby from Brookline High School. And then Jason Harich from Lexington and the Bolts. And then Matt Shea from the Bolts as well. So good spread there, local, out of area, and yeah, international. So exciting. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a large crop of players coming in. That's that uh, a bunch of guys you mentioned, and like you said, kind of covers all grounds, local, non-local, international. How would you describe what you're looking for in a player that, that you're going to add? I mean, what what are the main attributes that a player for Worcester Academy has to have? Yeah, main ap- attributes for Worcester Academy is just good character. Yeah. Locker room is the most important thing. Every day, wanting to be in there, the chemistry of the guys, and then going to the field and excited to be there. And it's it's the atmosphere, it's the, it's the character. And if, if you're happy with each other and you, you like each other, then that's half the battle, and then you want to go to work, and we go to the field, and hopefully they like the practices. <laughs> <laughs> and we enjoy being around each other. So like this, I mean, my entire time there at Worcester Academy in 23 years, I mean, it's not one day I don't want to be on that field with those guys, regardless of whether we're winning or we're losing. It's just the, the, the atmosphere. So uh, the locker room is the most important thing to me. Are you someone who, who enjoys a player with a little bit of a sense of humor, somebody who can keep things light? Or, I mean, what, you, you mentioned some kind of personality. What, what, you like the guys who can just kind of lighten the mood a little bit in the, in the locker room? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's good. Yeah. It's, it's what you want. I mean, you don't want everyone just straight-faced and all right. business and serious. I mean, look, it's, it's nerve-wracking when you're playing. You, you do get nerves. It's part of the, the game and the butterflies but at the same time you need to be able to relax and so the boys need to be able to joke around and but there's a time and a place so there's a time to be serious and there's a time that yeah we can have a good time and enjoy each other's company right you mentioned hopefully they like practice and, and training when, when you were a player did, were you were you someone who looked forward to training and practice every day or did, did it ever get tedious to you I was fortunate to play for 12 and a half years yeah. in the pro level so uh, I had a lot of different types of coaches yeah. and being honest it, it I did enjoy practice but there was days that I didn't and and the reason I say that is it's down to the coach I had some amazing coaches that practice I just couldn't wait to go there I was excited <laughs> to go play but the coach was just a good person that made made it exciting made it made you want to go play for them mm. uh, and then good people but I had a couple of other coaches where 
it just wasn't as, as fun. And it wasn't re- results. It was just maybe the sessions that they ran or the environment was different. And you know, there's a lot more just to go into the field and putting the cones down. And I, w- I was lucky. And I, some of the coaches that I have, I like to think that they took little pizza, snippets of mm. their practices and what I enjoyed and have rolled that into my own coaching career and a little bit of my own stuff. But you know, I'd say 60% of it's from the better coaches that I had. And, yeah, they were good people. Yeah, I, I mean, I just think even at any level in any sport, when it comes to practice, if the, if you're not if the if the kids are dreading going to practice, it's it's a problem. So I think that that is a key thing, just making it fun, but also having them look forward to it is a giant advantage. And that I, I figured that with your playing career and just the different coaches you've had, that's got to be a benefit to your coaching style. Just having different guys who have coached you and having different people around you, being able to roll that all into one one thing and, and take little bits here little bits there that's going to be a huge benefit yeah i mean i i still believe less is more yeah the goalposts don't move so right. don't don't complicate it keep keep it simple i was lucky to play with and then for steve nickel and his practices were yeah play a lot basic but then when it was time to be very knowledgeable about the game i also played for dan gaspar right uh, dan was meticulous and x's and o's and so yeah, he he was good, and then I was lucky to play actually for Bradford City for the who was Frank Stapleton, who was the first ever refs coach back in the early nineties. Yeah. But but Frank had played for Arsenal and Man United, but a lot of five sides, a lot of small sided games. There wasn't a lot of taxes, tax tactics. So right. yeah, do you you play music or anything during practice? You let the kids play music or anything during practice? Is there? Because I, I remember I used to, I spent a lot of time covering college basketball as well, and I dealt with a lot of different college basketball coaches, and some would play music the whole practice, and it would just be like this this whole vibe of just like, but then there's others that it was, it was more, more, more not, not enough strict's the right word, but there's no music. I mean, what's kind of your vibe at practice? Yeah, well, <clears throat> the locker room is blaring music. <laughs> And then I walk down the hall, and as soon as I walk in, and someone clocks eyes that I've walked in, it, get, it gets it shut stops. Off. Yeah, we don't play music at the at the field. Yeah, it's sort of business time. But right. again, Mondays are more of the get the work in, and we can have a little bit of a joke and a, mm-hmm. enjoy ourselves. Tuesdays a bit more work related, warm up, do what we need to to cover yep. the, for the Wednesday game. Thursday for us is weight room with our strength and conditioning coach. We're lucky to have one at the school. And then Friday is like a Tuesday prepping for the Saturday game. So no music at practice. <laughs> Certainly music on the, uh, on the bus and in the, in the locker, locker room, but not during practice. Let's touch on last season. Obviously a, a great year for you guys, 2022, with a Nupsack Class A championship. And I'm not going to say that you predicted that championship, but you had a good feeling when I talked to you in August and even leading into the season that you guys are going to be, be there, be contending for that championship. You knew you had a a special team last year and it obviously is the cover of our preview magazine and made me look smart because I put, (laughs) I had that on the cover of the magazine, but you knew you had a special team last year and you've, you've had special teams at the school before, but what was it about last year's team that you knew would make you so strong? Well, first, I was hoping that magazine hadn't jinxed it for us. But, uh, <laughs> I would have backfired. Well, the season before, we had a very good team. Right. We just had a good core group returning, and we knew we'd got some good additions coming into the group. I think when we spoke, I said, look, we'll be one of the top four teams. Yeah. But again, New England prep school soccer, 
There's a lot of great teams, right? Man, some very good coaches, and so in a wrong felt, bounce of the ball, you can lose. I mean, you, it's just you, you, you get right. It. So I felt confident that we'd have a shot at getting to the final four, and then like anything, you need a little bit of luck. Like you said, the ball bouncing in the right direction, right. and maybe the right call, or just the fact that your players are healthy. It's a long season; games come thick and fast. So we felt good, and we had confidence. But you know, preseason came. Went fine. First game of the season, Luis had to go on national team duty, and we didn't find out till the Monday, so we missed him for the first game of the Oof. season. BBNN, tough 3-3 tie, and it was a great game for us because it, it put a little bit of doubt in us, to be honest, right. and, and maybe woke us up a little bit to say, okay, this isn't going to be maybe as easy as we're, we we got to get to work. And then a lot, lot, lot of Tough games along the way. I mean, I think of the top 13 teams, there was only one we didn't play right. come the very end. And, yeah, Milton, tough, tough team, well coached by Chris Kane, and fabulous game, and roller coaster ride of emotions. But the, the, the guys, yeah, they, they felt they had a shot at it. They felt they had a chance. Believe it or not, we never spoke about it once. Right. From once we the season started until the very end, was more after that we we sort of were like well that's what we were aiming for but right. wasn't any real discussion in the season it was literally who's next mm-hmm. talked about them and like I said there was only one team which was Berkshire that we hadn't played in the regular season come the end that made the New England playoffs so we, we'd played all those teams before yeah I mean you were certainly battle tested in two things I remember about that championship Sunday. Number one, it was freezing. It was, I mean, it was cold and you, <laughs> and your game was later in the day. The sun was starting to go down. It was cold. I, I was there the whole, I think I couldn't feel my toes by the end of the day. It was freezing seven round PK shootout to decide it against, against Milton. So there was drama there and you and I both know everyone knows who's ever played soccer, followed soccer, PK shootout. I mean, that can go either way. I mean, that can, it comes down. You had a great keeper in Dean Linden. He, he was great, but that could have gone either way. When it goes to that PK shootout, what are you saying to the to the to the guys on the team, and what's what's the approach going into that, knowing that a championship rests on that? Yeah, I mean, you do practice them in in practice, but then they're nothing like right when you have to do. Yeah, I the mean, pressure's what, not. The, yeah, the funny we we have talked about this is the one thing is you finish practice with two weeks to go, and you, you're like, okay, we're gonna probably make the playoffs so we'll start practicing trying to pick the five right. and know who six and seven are the only thing you don't practice is the walk from the halfway line and that walk if you've ever played it's a long walk is where you question and doubt yourself at any level where it's your turn you're not thinking about it now you've got to make that whatever it is 30 yard walk and all of a sudden you're like am i going left am i going right, right? am i taking my normal pk and when you're standing there when you're standing at that dot <laughs> looking at the net in your mind, you're also thinking, like, how can I miss this? I mean, look how much net I have to work with. The goalie's at such a disadvantage, but the mental the mental state of mind, you're right, is just nuts at that point. And, and when you put the ball down and you start walking back, now you're like, okay, am I going right? Am I going right. straight? Am I going left? And crazy. I mean, so we'd practice him. I told the guys, look, just hit your normal shot. Hit the one you've practiced. That's that's the thing, and, and and we did. But oh, the emotions on the sideline going through those <laughs> penalty kicks. I haven't I haven't actually talked to Chris Kane yet about it, and he might want to not think about it. But the the thing is, I can tell you myself is, I mean, we take the first one, we we score, and they they miss, and I'm like, oh, we're going to win this. It's right. my own personal thing. 
Then we get to the third penalty and we miss and they score. Right. And I'm now beginning to be like, oh, no. I got the feeling. Then the fifth one comes. We step up and we, we, we don't make it. Right. So now all of a sudden I'm like, oh, we're going we're gonna to lose. Yeah. Then Dean Linden makes the save. On Great save. Five, yeah. And you're like, wow, alive. <laughs> all of a sudden you're like, oh. And then six, I, I forget. I think both teams scored six. Yep. It goes to seven. Wade Johnson scores. And then Dino makes the save. And right. it's like, oh, wow, we've won. So you've gone from, oh, we're going to win right. to we're going to lose to, oh, to, right. wow. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. In a PK shootout, in your opinion, if there's a save made, are you saying that's more great goalkeeping or just a, the moment getting the better of a shooter? Because there's there's so much net to work with. I mean, like, it's in – go and. Goalkeepers do guess the right way, and there and there are and I, the Argentina goalkeeper in the World Cup was phenomenal. Just I'm just like psyching psyching shooters out and get and guessing right. So there is an element of that. But how much of it is the goalkeeper, and how much is just the shooter not the, the moment making him too anxious? Yeah. Well, we're lucky that we have Dean Linden, right. who's just committed to UMass Amherst, and phenomenal goalkeeper. And uh, goalkeeper is like quarterback in football; it's a specialty position. You need a good one perfect example with a certain mindset they have to we have. did the same thing yeah. with alex wood in 2019 went to penalties and he saved it so yeah no i mean dino look they got to train for it he came up big for us in that in those moments and helped us win a championship and he'd probably be the first to tell you that they're trying to put you off edge when you're putting the ball down on the spot they're looking at you run up a little bit, maybe your body shape to try and get a, a bit of leverage in guessing which direction you're going. And then because these balls now go much faster than when I played in, right. the, in the 90s, that they have to move before you strike it to, to be able to save it. Right. So they do have to like sort of guess. But you know they're looking at the way you're sort of running up and shaping your body, to, to but they're guessing. Yeah, yeah. No, he was he was fantastic. I mean, I, that game was just a great game. I mean, that was the second year in a row of the class. T- the year before that, Taft and Northfield Mount Hermon also a great game. Same thing, penalty kick shootout. Nobody deserved to lose. It was just a great great game. Two premier teams. How many Division One commits now are you up to for this class of 2023 from, from Worcester? Yeah, I, right now I think it's might be now eight with Dean. So he uh, tested me that. It is... I think you're seven, right. Yeah, seven, yeah. I seven, knew it was seven. I knew it was seven, at least seven. Yeah, yeah. Because Jackson Stonehill and Rafa just committed to Fairfield. Dino is going to UMass, and then obviously two to UVM with TJ, TJ yep. and Nash and Wade to Colgate and Nate to URI. So group, and then obviously Andrew to Williams. So fantastic group of players. Fantastic schools. Now, is that a, a typical number for you each year for for a graduating class? I mean, is that was this a higher number than than usual for Division One commits or just? In general, compared to other years, yeah, typically, typically we're eight to ten college commits a, a year, mm-hmm. Division One through Division Three. But mm-hmm. this was certainly the most Division One from from one group. Yeah, uh, we've normally had four or five, but this this group was the most ever. Obviously, you are confident in what you have coming onto the team this year, and like we said, we're, we're four months away from a new season. But how do you go about now being the defending Class A champ? Trying to repeat, repeating is tough in in any sport. It's hard to win two championships in a row. What's the mindset going into this season? What'll be the the main things when you start talking to the the guys as you get closer? What'll be the main things you stress? 
that last season's over and it's a new slate and you want to make your own piece of history, then it starts with the first game of the season. Go one at a time and give yourself an opportunity to, to be there at the end to hopefully be a Final Four team that has a chance to compete for a championship. But at the same time, like you just noted, every year in prep school soccer, A, B, C, D, there's other phenomenal teams. And a l- there's gonna, I, I think next fall is going to be one of the most cracking Class A tournaments in, in, and not in a while because there's been some good ones, but there's going to be a lot of good Class A teams, but certainly as well at B, C, and D level. But Is that just from conversations you've had with other coaches, just understanding what teams have back and just that you just think it's going to be crazy competitive? Yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously, I know, I know what obviously Northfield and Milton re- return, right. Aussie at Taft, and Dave at Loomis, and Avon have, have, have obviously brought in players and have a good group back. I think Berkshire's going to be there, Choate's going to be there. I, I think the other thing is, you, you like going back to earlier in your conversation, I know what I lost to those schools with the recruits that didn't come, come to us, and vice versa. They know what the players that chose Worcester Academy and you know, but yeah, I, I think it's pretty. Yeah, it's going to be v- equal and good battle, and yeah, who can put it in the net? Will you play? I know we we talked about your schedule last year. With I mean, you guys played pretty much a who's who of of New England prep soccer. Will it be the same this year? Will your schedule be loaded with with top notch competitors in the NEPSEC? Yeah, so we're yeah. going to play that schedule again, and Oof. actually we've added Taft to it. So, <laughs> so you added uh, one more, too, so yeah. So me and Ozzy are good friends and actually share the same birthday. And, oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> we've been talking about it for a long time. The, the difficulty with schedule is just where people have a good game and when you're trying to play teams, and it takes a while. So me and Ozzy have been talking about it for about four years, and I finally got a date. We're going to go to Taft. Mm. We're very excited to do so because we know it's going to be another phenomenal game, and the reason you play these games is because the coaches will, the college coaches come to watch the big games. And when we play those games, that's the games the coaches want to come and watch because that's where the players can showcase their talents for playing at the next level. Right, right. Well, I, I like I said, I mean, I can't believe it's only four months away. <laughs> it just, it ended and now it's, it's, it's coming right around the corner. Same thing with the college soccer season. I'm just, it's, it's funny how quick it turns around. But James, since we have you in studio here, we're going to have you participate in our, our fun little segment here, Extra Time, where our producer David Yaz gives, well, it'll be us now, three mystery questions about the game of soccer, and we're going to do our best to answer them. It's the end of regulation, so let's move to Extra Time. So, Dave, fire away. Our listeners should know that neither the guest nor Matt is even remotely prepared for these questions. Right? <laughs> nope. That's what makes Not it fun. Seen. All right. Matt, should we let the guest go first? Will the coach go first? Uh, we'll, we'll let the guest, yes. Yeah, okay. So. Coach, question number one. What is the most amazing thing you've ever seen on a soccer pitch? Wow. That's a tough one. You want to jump in first, Matt? Well, I always go to the, the 19... When everyone asks, asks me about, like, scene or memory or, or thing that sticks in my mind it's always the 1994 world cup mm-hmm. baggio skying the the pk in the united states to lose to lose the world cup to brazil because i i grew up kind of i mean obviously the united states but i also grew up rooting for italy and that was the year i mean that was like my first i'm 12 years old i'm watching that that's with my father my family and he just i still to this day can't believe that penalty kick that he took that was like 
15 feet over the net and just continuing to rise. And he, it was just, we talked about PKs earlier and just the mental state of mind about a, P, a PK shooter. And Baggio is one of the greatest players in the world at that time. And he's just not even close. And we just sat there stunned. And it, it wasn't an amazing thing to see for a good reason. It was an amazing thing to see for a bad reason for me as a fan. But it was just, it's always what sticks out in my mind in something I saw or witnessed in a soccer match that, that I just, I, I always think about right off the bat. That's mine. Yeah. Well, Coach, you've had time to think about it now. Yeah, I, yeah <laughs> he, He's seen more than me, though. It's definitely yeah. stunned me. Yeah, I'm struggling with this one. <laughs> well, how about how about favorite memory as either a fan or a player, like the biggest win? Uh, for me, so I'm from Middlesbrough in England, so mm-hmm. not many of your listeners will know, but Middlesbrough in 86 were locked out of their stadium. We're on hard times before the, the current chairman bought the club from liquidation and they were bankrupt. The stadium was bad luck. So the team of 86, Tony Mowbray, was captain, young lad, and they ended up winning the old third division and getting promoted. So as a fan of Middlesbrough and a young man at the time, to see the town that I'm from was just amazing to see a club go from rock bottom to... And then they won three promotions in a row, so it was incredible. Mm. That's a good answer. It's the one thing that soccer has, like, I think, over all other sports is it's the one sport where a team could be playing for its fate the next season, right? Or it, it, in general, right? Right. I would, win, I would actually, or, yeah, I would love to see good. American sports adopt relegation yeah. and things like that because I, I think it just, well, it takes away tanking. I mean, it just, the, the biggest problem with American sports is tanking and mm-hmm. just like giving up on a season, but. With soccer worldwide, it doesn't that doesn't exist. Could you imagine in the NF, NFL and Major League Hockey and baseball if these teams that make millions were going to get relegated and right. lose millions like the Premier League, the oh, Championship? I mean, we'd eat it up, and American fans would eat that up. We, oh, yeah. love, we love stuff like that. Oh, I don't yeah. know why we haven't gone to it. American yeah. fans are eating it up right now. Exactly. Wrexham. Right. I, mean, <laughs> I know, by, exactly by the right. spoonful. Right. right. Exactly right. Speaking of Wrexham, if you watch the show Welcome to Wrexham and the the adventures of Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney. You know that one of the things that makes another thing that makes soccer unique is fans are very creative with their chants <laughs> and their songs. Can't I'll throw this out to both of you. Can you remember a favorite chant or song performed, as it were, by soccer fans? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna pass this on to Coach because <laughs> I mean I that's a. That's a tough question. I don't know that there's... I mean, I just love it all in general, just the, the ambiance at a soccer match, but I feel like Coach might have a better answer on this one than I would. Yeah, so I, I actually, for me, going to Anfield and right before the game, the Liverpool fans sing, you'll never walk alone. And if, you've, if, <laughs> if you, you don't experience anything like it, I mean, you, you, your hair stand up on the back of your neck. And when they come out that tunnel and they start singing that song and you can see how much it means to them and the, this, the, to the fans of Liverpool. I mean, it is just emotional. It, it, it's incredible. And you hear it on the TV, but unless you're physically in the stadium, you'll, you, you get a different experience. Yeah, that's a good answer. I recall someone wrote an article for Sports Illustrated in, I want to say the 90s maybe, just about the experience of going to England and riding the bus with the fans of a, a soccer team. And he wrote about all the songs. And one of the players on the team, I don't remember what team, I'm afraid, but one of the players on the team had endured a tragedy the year before in that his his wife had been killed. And whenever this player did something good, they saluted him by singing 
always look on the bright side. Uh, you know? yeah. <laughs> it was meant in good spirits, I, I, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, all right, we will conclude with, excuse me, question number three. Will soccer's popularity in the United States continue to grow? And if so, will it eventually overtake one or more of the big four American team sports? Coach, you want to take that one first? Yeah, yes. And the answer's uh, yes. <laughs> I think uh, it's culture. And I think if you look at the rest of the world, we all grew up with it. It's in our DNA. And I think if you look at football, baseball, hockey, it's in family's DNA. Their, their grandfathers played, their, their fathers played, and, or their mothers played. And now I think what you're getting to is that next generation where folks are becoming grandparents and they played soccer and now their parents played soccer so i think now it like the new england revolution their dad took them to a game so now that's the thing where you take your child to a game and yeah i think it is and i think now when you look at a franchise in major league soccer and what it would cost to buy in i mean it's 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 expensive and yeah my answer is yes mine is absolutely yes i've been saying it to anybody who will listen that i think it's it could climb to as high as I think reasonably in the in the next decade to his third in this country. I mean, I think American football here is just always going to be. I mean, we just it's number one in this country. I think basketball is 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 in a way like soccer, where it's got a worldwide following and it's growing. But soccer is just continues to be rising. It's on the come up, and it just is going to continue to be on the come up. And a young as younger generations come into this country, it's only going to continue to rise. I mean, it's. The TV product's spectacular. I mean, there's no commercial breaks. The game never stops. Which makes a big difference. Which that, makes a huge difference. That's why football's number one, in my opinion. It's it the is. best TV sport. Right? And it's also, I think, the thing that football has going for it is once a week. So it becomes an experience on a Sunday where, okay, it's Sunday. Today's the day I watch football. We're going to sit around and we're going to watch football. But soccer can have that element as well, but there's no commercials. The TV product's great. The, fan, the, the experience at the game in the stadium is unreal, like nothing you've ever, you won't, you won't see, you can't compare it to anything else. And I know baseball made some big adjustments this year in, in trying to connect with more people. And it's been great. The pitch clock's been great. But as the coach would alluded to, have they lost a generation? They that, might have lost oh, a generation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'll tell you this, my, my two young sons would much rather watch a soccer match than sit there. And, and and they, my oldest son plays baseball and loves baseball and plays soccer as well. But he would rather watch soccer than baseball any other way. Baseball is slow, and there's it's it, its image is getting repaired with some of these changes. But soccer is just it's it's coming, it's coming, and a lot of the stigmas that people used to think about soccer are realizing that they're, these are old wives' tales. They don't exist. I mean, shows like Welcome to Wrexham, shows like Ted Lasso, have put it in more of the mainstream, and yeah. I think more people are starting to realize it, this. It's a pretty cool sport, and it's just going to gain a following as we get older. Ted Lasso might have helped hurt some of the American coaches when. Oh, I, know. I was going to. I wanted to ask you about that. That's what. That's what I missed. Yeah, do you think he's? He's. That's. That's had a negative effect on coaching the Ted Lasso. No, I think it's just timing. I think that came out, and then obviously Bob Bradley and Jesse Marsh went over to to England, and I, I don't. I, yeah, I'm. I'm from the Middlesbrough Leeds area, and. I thought Jesse Marsh was doing a good job at Leeds yeah. and uh, took over from Bielsa, which was a tough person to follow after he got them up after years of not being in the Premier League. Right. Uh, I thought he did a good job. I thought he represented American coaches very well. I think he was unfortunate to, to lose his job, but I think that the fact of the matter just came down to they were panicking that they might go down and 
back to promotion relegation mm. going down costs a lot of money. Uh, I don't think Leeds can afford to lose that revenue right now. Right. right. I mean, Ted Lasso is a comedy, and so I imagine for you two who are so close to soccer, there'll be moments where, you're, where you'd say, well, that would never happen. But but overall, Coach, you, you think it's been a good thing in raising just simply the vibe of soccer and the awareness of soccer in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, look, people watched it, right? They watched yeah. Ted Lasso. People loved it. It's humorous. I think humor's good. It might be picking at the spot I love, but it, <laughs> it, 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 yeah. it was it was great coming to Wrexham. I mean, mm-hmm. fantastic. I can't wait for the second season. My my wife is she follows soccer because of me, but Tim's now her team. So I love yeah. I love that welcome to Wrexham so much that I was I chided someone for telling me something that happened to the Wrexham football club in real life as if it was a spoiler. And the person's like, that, that's real life sports. It's not a documentary. That's right. But by the way, coach, I totally agree with you about the, it being a generational thing. If you go back two generations, the most popular sports in the U.S. were boxing and horse racing. And so to think that so some people sit around and say, no, those four sports will never be changed. No, just all you have to do is look at recent history. When you say generation, though, it's as a young kid going to Middlesbrough, Assam Park, it's now the Riverside, but Assam Park, I used to go, and it's funny that you brought up earlier that football's only on a Saturday or a Sunday. In England, used to be very rare there would be a midweek game, but there might be for TV, but this was before the big TV came in. Games were only on Saturdays. Mm. So you would go, I used to go with my two grandfathers, my father, my brother, and we would go watch Middlesbrough when they were at home on a Saturday, and it was like religion. That was mm, where we right, went. Like going to church. Right. And, uh, again, that's what we all grew up with. But then on Sundays, we all wanted to be the players that played our position. Or we'd play in the streets. And that was this part of like the team you supported. I, there was a player who played for England. He was called Stuart Ripley. Won the league with Blackburn, but he played for Middlesbrough. And as a kid, I idolized him. And I would go out and play in the street. And then on a Sunday, I thought I was Stuart Ripley when I played in my games. And those are the things that, you know culture and i think that's the one thing with the revs i I think that they've got to sort of get into that of wanting people to go watch and the culture for it to be in the dna with all this club soccer prep school soccer youth soccer getting these kids to the stadium to one of the next showery joseph taylor twelman Mm. and the current crop of players is you know that that's how the game's going to also grow people need to go watch you guys have won me over. I live in Foxborough. I have no excuse not to go to the Revs. So. <laughs> They'll be happy to hear that. The franchise sure will be happy to hear that. You'll be at the next home game. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, well done, Coach and Matt. Congratulations. You have successfully navigated extra time. And if you have any questions for extra time for Matt or for anyone that appears on our podcast, please submit them. You can send them to me, producer David, david.yas at siemensmedia.com. That's david.yas at S-E-A-M-A-N-S media.com. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, David. That was uh, fun as always. And thanks again to James Proctor for joining the podcast. It was great to have you join in on Extra Time, too. I hope you had fun with that. Oh, my pleasure. This was a lot of fun, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm Matt Langoni. Thanks for listening. New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast is produced by David Yaz and is a Siemens Media production. You've been listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. Or visit anysoccerjournal.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.